Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2006 film Away From Her. So let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how you doing? I'm doing well, Sam. I remembered to show up, so that's a good sign. <laughs> that's right. This We've been um, on a break, so this was a movie that um, I watched kind of right away and let it sort of stew in my head, and then I watched it again um, this past weekend to kind of take some notes and, and remind myself of it. So I'm I'm used to this uh, much more compressed timeline, so this was interesting to kind of stretch out the viewings um, a little bit. Uh, maybe let's start with uh, where we always start. Uh, what is your history with uh, with this film away from her? Well, I first saw it, Sam, not long after it came out. I can't remember exactly. I know I didn't see it in the theater, but I, and I also know that I, I watched it because I was teaching my film course and I was doing a unit on adaptation. And I don't remember which came first, whether I had seen the film and thought that was a great adaptation or whether I had read about the film as an adaptation. But it is an adaptation of Alice Munro's short story, The Bear Came Over the Mountain. And um, so the short story is great and the film is great. And it really worked well for my purpose because I didn't, I couldn't ask the students to read an entire novel. So it was really great to have a short story and then an adaptation. Uh, and it, anyway, so that's how I got into the film and, um, uh, and I used it a couple of different times in that class. So were you familiar with the the Alice Monroe story before you saw the film or No, not that specific story. I'd read quite a bit of Alice Monroe, but I hadn't read that one, so that was a new one for me. So I had the chance to read it this morning um in part because I knew you had mentioned uh when we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago that you had taught this. So I was excited to say like, oh, well, I should, I should read the story then and maybe we can think about adaptation a little bit. Um, I'm ca- kind of curious, how, did, how well did this teach when the rubber hit the road and you were um, working with students on this? Yeah, it, it, it taught well. I, I, I did it twice and that's usually a pretty good sign. Yeah, it, it taught well because, you know, Monroe is a very accessible writer um, and yet there's a lot going on. And it taught really well as adaptation because um, both the story and the film use uh, Grant as the central consciousness, but you get quite different pictures of Grant uh, as, as a result. And so there was really a lot to, to talk about. Uh, in short, he's a much more sympathetic character in the film than he is in the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what, what, what I found interesting was how, in some ways, and maybe this is because it's a short story rather than a novel. It's like, uh, as Sarah Polly adapts this, there's kind of nothing taken away. <laughs> it, feel, right. it feels like, like, like she didn't have to, you know, that, that usually when I think of adaptation, it's like, how do we take this much larger thing and mm-hmm. clean it up and, and chop it up to make, to make something work. But I feel like, so instead it's almost like the filmmaker, is able to use that to expand on some things to, I feel like there in, in some ways there's more in the movie than there is in the, in the short story, but the two things sort of speak to each other and don't necessarily contradict each other. So I think mm-hmm. you could, you could look at these as two accounts of really two accounts of the same story. Yeah. The proportions are a little bit different. It's been a while since I've read, we read the story, but um, one of the reviewers I looked at pointed out that, Polly, and this is part of a more sympathetic picture of Grant, that Polly downplays a bit the treatment of his infidelities. Um, and that's one of the ways in which they, the, in which I think his judgment on himself in the film 
is a bit more severe than it is in the story. He tries to he tries to let himself off in the story by calling himself a philanderer uh, and then talking about the root uh, meaning of philanderer, which is a lover of humanity or a lover of, of people, and tries to make it seem as though his infidelities are therefore more about his excess of love, whereas the film doesn't really give him that kind of that kind of leeway. Um, there's also in, in the film, there's quite a bit of uh, Monroe's dialogue used directly. And sometimes I think the film falters a bit because I think some of the dialogue sounds a bit stilted, which mm -hmm. is often what happens when you go directly from a fiction to, to film. Uh, but by and large, I think what Polly has done is what you need to do in an adaptation is kind of find a way to, um, to take uh, a work of art that's in one particular genre, one particular type of, uh, of semiotic code, if you will, and turn it into another one. Yeah, and actually, I had read that 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 same sort of criticism that that picking up the the dialogue from the Monroe story sometimes is a little awkward. I found it interesting reading the story this morning. Um, which pieces of dialogue come from the Monroe story and which pieces don't? Because there are certain things where I'm like, oh, I really liked this particular line, and then realized, well, that's not actually even in the story. That's a Sarah mm -hmm. Polly uh, Sarah Polly addition to this. The other thing in terms of the adaptation is the. story sort of storytelling structure shifts mm -hmm. um in the and you know this is a maybe a more cinematic way to tell the story and it would be hard to write a story the way that the movie does um but 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 we'll definitely uh get into that as we're as we're talking um uh in terms of sarah polly do you i don't really have a larger sense of who she is this is her this was her first feature film she's um directed uh a few since then i know she's an actress but she's not somebody that i had um i think it's a name that i had heard but nobody that not somebody i'd had reference points for so well she she's a big deal in canada um she's kind of canada's jodie foster i guess if i could think about that um she has been an actress since she was four years old um and her big breakthrough role was when she was 11 or 12 which is about the age that jodie foster was when she made her breakthrough uh she starred in a, a film in a television show in, our, in canada called road to avon lee uh and she was hailed as uh, canada's sweetheart as a result so then she kind of grew into larger roles um as a, she became a young adult um, most notably for thinking about this film, uh, she was in uh, Tom Goyen's The Sweet Hereafter, uh, which was Academy Award nominated in, I think it was 96 with Ian Holm. Uh, and uh, Tom Goyen is uh, one of the kind of leading Canadian directors along with David Cronenberg. Uh, and uh, he was executive producer of Away From Her and kind of a mentor to Polly. Uh, she was also in um, a film by Don McKellar called Last Night that she kind of visually quotes. She was in a really interesting film called Go. She was in David Cronenberg's Existence. She was in the remake of Dawn of the Dead, Secret Life of Words. Uh, and in both Secret Life of Words and a film called No Such Thing, she was paired with Julie Christie. And it was because of that connection to Julie Christie that she's able to get Julie Christie to appear in this film. Um, so Polly had directed three short films before this. She'd actually won the Can Canadian version of an Academy Award for one of those films, which had Kristen Thompson in it, who plays the nurse. Uh, and all this, Sam, and she's only 27 years old. <laughs> I mean, she's younger than Brano when he made his debut with Henry V. She's just a couple years older than Orson Welles when he made his debut in, with Citizen Kane. 
So she's kind of right up there in that category of those first time directors that make a huge splash. Not only did she direct it, but she did the screenplay uh, as well. It's right. It's and, and was nominated for uh, for an Academy Award for the screenplay yeah, yeah. Um, uh, to this movie. Um, so thinking of that screenplay, I talked about the, the structure of the film. Um, it was interesting re-watching it because after I had watched when I had watched the film I didn't necessarily understand the structure which makes sense because you don't really have a reference point for kind of for what's happening because the story's unfolding before you um, and when I rewatched it I realized how much of this movie is flashback that in my first watch things didn't occur to me as flashback like sometimes it was there were just I didn't realize that there were things happening kind of simultaneously um, and it's interesting to think about you know how much of this movie is flashback when this is a movie which is a lot about memory um, and about about losing memory and the memories we lose, the memories we hold on to, kind of, and, and what those um, what those things mean. But um, I, it hadn't occurred to me that this movie basically starts uh, towards the end or the middle end of the movie with um, uh, um, with with Grant driving to uh, to Miriam's house. Um, or, and 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 then and all the stuff that we see before uh, Fiona is in the hospital is Grant thinking back on those things really as he's making that drive. So we get this sense of him kind of uh, replaying this story, and you know there are flashes where he's replaying things from earlier in his life as well. We this opening we get the uh, picture of young Fiona as well, and him kind of thinking about her. So, so I realize how much of this is, is in his head. And that maybe gives you a chance to think, um, you know, how much of this are those, how much of those flashbacks are, are interpretations of his, uh, his memory as well. But I really liked the structure of this rather than, uh, a straightforward. I mean, you could have told this story in a straightforward way, um, linear A to B to C, but um, but I thought it, which which the um, uh, the store the the written story does a little bit more, and I really liked the structure of this. It's a little I, I wouldn't push this too hard, but it's a little memento like in, in in the first twenty minutes or so, right? In the sense that you don't know exactly where you are temporarily, mm-hmm. and to me, that's a little it's a, it's a little Alzheimer's like, not so much in the sense of forgetting. But I, I would imagine, I obviously, I hope, don't have Alzheimer's, but, but I would imagine that one of the experiences you have when you have that condition or any kind of dementia is, uh, first of all, your grasp on time is very tenuous. And I know this because of a family member who is, has some early dementia. Um, and so reality for you is whatever is in front of you at the moment. So I think that's the experience you have as a viewer in the first 15, 20 minutes. It's like, I don't know where I am temporarily. I only know that I'm here. Uh, now it's winter. Now it's spring. Now we're here. Now we're there. And I think that's part of Polly's intention is to give you that disorienting experience of what it's like not to be sure where you are in time. Yeah, I mean, even the I, like I think about the 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 scene where they find the flower when they're mm-hmm. walking in the park and she um, I got, I'm not even sure how linear some of those memories are as part of it. Like, like trying to, trying to piece together, like kind of, are these things floating in his head or are these, is this, is he telling us a story in, in his memory? Um, 
Well, uh, thinking of, of Alzheimer's, I, I will say I don't have any personal experience, um, thankfully, with this in terms of family, um, family, things like that. Although, you know, as people have aging parents, you never know. You never know kind of how those things um, will come. But it was interesting reading reviews of this, how much um, how much people talked about Alzheimer's and talked about lots of movies that use this as a as sort of as a device in the story and how um, Polly's really praised in terms of like the, the elegance of doing this and not making it a plot device in a movie that's about something else. But this really is a movie, you know, in lots and lots of ways about um, kind of people coming to uh, coming to terms, coming to realizations about this. Um, and then what that means about their lives. Um, in one of the reviews, uh, um, let me make sure I'm quoting the right person here. Uh, uh, James uh, Berardinelli, who we've talked about before, talks about Alzheimer's being, uh, you know, one of the only major conditions where the, there's a greater toll on the family and the people around it than the person than the person suffering from it. Right? That that there's this, which is interesting because there's this degree of. Um, of Fiona almost being so much more at peace with things than, than Grant is, you know? So, so it's this, you get this interesting dynamic of she wants to go to Meadow Lake and Grant is the one who's, who, who doesn't want to let go of those things, um, which sort of speaks to um, kind of the power of a relationship, especially a long-term, I mean, they've been married for 44 years um, in this sense of like, she's losing herself in certain when she even says that i feel like i'm disappearing but grant is also losing something in her and something of himself um as she's as she's fading as well you know um sam wayne booth the literary critic talks in one place about the effect of reading certain books at different ages talks in particular about reading anna cranier when he's 20 when he's 40 when he's 60 so my experience of this film had a lot to do with my own aging because um, I would not seen the movie in maybe 10 years. So I'm at a different life stage. Um, my mother is at a different life stage. Uh, and although the film is not intentionally a tearjerker, I don't think I've cried quite so much in a long time. Hmm. And I think a lot of it for me was seeing myself both as Grant in, this, in that my wife and I just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. So I know what it's like to be married for a long time. And the movie made me think about how, how would I deal with something like this happening to my wife? And then I was able to insert what's happening to my mother. Uh, and it was, it was very powerful for me. And I think that Bernelli is, is really onto something and pointing that out, right? That it's um, when these things are happening to people around you, it is in some ways more difficult for you than it is for them. That's not always true, but I think that that's what the film kind of, so, so for me, um, I don't always have a powerfully emotional experience in a film, but this one hit me in a way now that it absolutely did not in 2010. I can absolutely remember, you know, 2010, it was much more of an intellectual exercise about, you know, how is this film adapting this short story? Uh, 2022 was like, wow, this, uh, this hit me right in the gut. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, I thought about um, one of our, our colleagues who recently retired, uh, Kathy Nevins from the psychology department. I remember as a student, her talking about um, 
the the power of different kinds of deaths in our lives um and 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 obviously fiona doesn't die but she is fading mm-hmm. in this kind of way um and and it is this so i mean it is framed kind of as 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 living death is probably an overstatement but there is some there is something like something dying here yes, um, yes. and and kathy talks about like when you lose your parents um you lose your past right you lose this connection to your past when you lose your child you lose your future but when you lose your spouse you lose your present Mm. Um, and i'm thinking as i think about this i think about that's one of the things that grant is wrestling with is he's watching his his sense of the now fade away because fiona has been his Mm. like this presence and his present um you know in that uh in that way and because they don't have children he also then does not have this other i mean there really is no other family you know um right Right. Well, uh, you know, and, and that that key line, uh, which I think I think I think Polly's decision to title the film away from her is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that line, right? She, I never wanted to be away from her. She had the spark of life. Um, so so there's that there's that sense that you know she is kind of the the engine that drives his life. But at the same time, the way he he nonetheless wrestles with his guilt over his inadequacies, his past transgressions. Um, I think that that's another, that's another powerful force, right, that we face in our relationship with others is, um, you know, guilt maybe over the things that we should have said that we didn't or should have done or didn't or did and shouldn't have. Um, you know, so I think it really, to have that happen in the midst of Alzheimer's at the same time is really a powerful combination. Yeah. Did, did you read the, the uh, Roger Ebert review of this? Yeah, I, I did actually. Yes. I, I was struck by how, and I don't know Ebert's story. I don't know the people in his life, but this was, was a, a very thoughtful review that, mm-hmm. that seemed less about the movie. And, and he just sort of got into thinking about the nature of Alzheimer's, the nature of memory and the nature of how, um, I mean, he even starts to think about memory in this this grand this grand sense that like, um, and I think about this as a historian a lot that like, you have these shared experiences with people, and as long as the two of you are alive, those experiences are real things. Mm. And as the people who were part of those who have access to memories of those things, um, as they die, or in this case, as they, those memories fade those realities become less real. And, and he talks about really almost the historical slate being wiped clean. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, I remember thinking about this um, uh, because I, I teach a, a Western Civ course where we just sprint through history. And I once made a graph for students of every century that we covered and how many human beings alive in that century we named mm-hmm. in the course. And it's kind of crazy because it's like, some centuries it's like we named two people who were alive during this century and there were centuries where we didn't name a person and there is this sense of like yeah. there you know that, that there is constantly the slate of reality and history is being wiped clean as these memories fade away i didn't expect that in a roger ebert review um so so i think i, I think all of that speaks to this movie has the the power to really hit hard um even though it's not like a uh, it's not a. Man- I don't think it's a manipulative movie emotionally, but it's it's almost like psychologically and philosophically, it is it 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 really cuts to some core elements of the human experience uh, in some pretty powerful ways. Yeah, there's an interview that uh, Frederick Buechner, uh, you know, he who has written six six autobiographies, uh, four, uh, four autobiographies. 
he talks about the difficulty of losing family members uh, because, as he says in the interview, you, you have nobody you can check your memory against. And so, yeah, it's, it's this notion that you just you lose these things that are irretrievable. Um, I think about that with my own family, you know, uh, the things I will never know about my grandparents because there's nobody left who knows those things who can tell them to me. Um, I've been thinking about it lately because I'm moving my office and I've been purging files. And every time I throw something away, I think, well, that's gone. Um, I, I, I have now forgotten it. I didn't even remember it was in the file. And, and in a sense, that's what the, the Alzheimer's is like in terms of what it takes away from the life. And in fact, when I was talking with my siblings, I have talked with my siblings about my mom. I've, said the, I've used that very image that Fiona used. And that is, it's like she's fading away. It's like she's disappearing. Uh, there's less and less of, their, of her there every time you talk to her. And what's interesting, and this gets to gets gets into some of the the interesting tension in this movie, is things fade away. But unlike you purging your office, you don't get to choose which things fade away. Yeah, I mean one of one of the one of, one of the lines that is just this this gut punch of a line is when she says, "You know, there are things I wish would go away, the things we don't talk about." Mm-hmm. And there is this sense of like, just because your memory is fading doesn't mean those things that haunt you will also be gone but yeah. though you know those things who knows but those neural pathways remain and and you know and 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 I, so and that that just really struck me her you know her sort of thinking because at another point she talks about you know there's something almost beautiful in oblivion right this idea yes. of uh you know instead of you know instead of like the immediacy of dying this is this is fading and and maybe maybe you can fade into this comfortable place i mean there's this sense there's this line where um, when Grant asks her what she's doing with Aubrey, she says, uh, he doesn't confuse me. Mm. You know, there's this sense of like, like my capacity to understand the world around me is also fading. And he is somebody who does not push up against that, yeah. you yeah. know, where, where Grant is, I mean, Grant, because Grant carries, he carries her. He is basically the bearer of her story now. Because it's she, because she's losing it, and every time he brings something up that she doesn't remember, she's forced to deal with that. What, what I find interesting about the the struggle the two of them are going through, the, or the journey, both of them are taking journeys deeper into love in a way that they would never have expected. Mm-hmm. So his ability to love her has to become the ability to let her go, um, and. And it's interesting that she retains the ability to love, but she directs that love to Aubrey rather than to to Grant. Um, But both of them, I mean, so in that sense, what I love about the film is it's an Alzheimer's story, but it's a love story. Mm -hmm. And I I think, I can't remember if it was Ebert or not, that talked about the fact that a lot of the other Alzheimer's films kind of attach themselves to a different plot line. Right. So, yeah. Whereas this is an Alzheimer's film that's that manages manages to connect the, all those various themes we've talked about: love, guilt, um, relationships, the past. You know, it it, it manages to make all those all those kind of radiate radiate out from and are deeply entangled in the central situation. So that gives the film uh, to me a really strong integral structure because because everything is a is about Alzheimer's, but it isn't only Alzheimer's. Right. And, and, and there, there's this, the, the great line when he's sitting kind of with the like 
for lack of a better term, kind of punk girl in yes, the, um, yes. you know, and, and, and he says to her, she's in love with the man she's sitting with. Yes. And I just like to see her. And there, I mean, and that, that, that's sort of a later moment in the film when, when he's letting go of the, um, uh, letting go of the sort of fight to kind of, I need, I need to bring you back somehow. Instead, I need to accept, really need to accept who you, who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I assume things like the 30 day policy is a real thing for those for, for, I mean, if it's not it, like it, at least internally, the, it, there's a logic to it that makes sense. Um, but it was so interesting because I didn't expect when he came back, I, 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 I didn't expect how different kind of her life and, exi- and, and really that is kind of the point of that policy is I, to say, I, we, we need to make this, um, this clean break. I mean, there's this powerful moment when he leaves, um, when he leaves her there and then he goes and talks with, um, talks with Christy and he gets the note from, uh, I think, uh, Montpelier brings the note to him and it just says, go now. I love you go now. And it is this sense of like, this is not easy. This is the part that's not easy for her is she's at least at this moment, still aware enough of kind of what he needs to do. And it's almost like she knows she's going to he's going to fade from her. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that, that again, like, like little moments like that just become really, uh, really poignant. Yeah. And I don't know either, Sam, if the 30 day rule is a real thing or not. I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if it is, but one of the things I, I another way in which the film is really successful to me is that Meadow, Meadow Lake is, it's not an awful place. And it's not a wonderful place. It's the place that's doing the best it can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and there was an interesting interview with Polly in, in Salon magazine not long after the film came out. And she, she talks about that. She talks about, you know, can't, can't we do better for people? I mean, because, you know, but right now this is kind of the best we can do. So it's, you know, so, so you have the director, you know, ultimately, yes, she's really just kind of a manager of these people. And you see this need for efficiency. But at the same time, you see Christy has a heart for these people. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I love that scene where she, and I love the scene, it's a hard scene, but she takes him to the second floor, right? Mm-hmm. And, and she uses that word progress. This is where the patients come when they progress. And I love Grant, you know, as an English teacher saying, interesting choice of words. But at the same time, I mean, they really, they really do the best they can. You know, she gives them that tour and, you know, here's a room where they can work on crafts and here's a place where we do a little physical activity with them. And then you've got the TV room. So it's, so you get this sense that they are doing the best they can, but it's still, it's still a cruel disease. Uh, and it's still hard what's happening to people. Well, and, and Fiona even puts that into words when she says, I don't think we should be looking for a plan we like. Uh, we should be all we should be aspiring to is a little bit of grace. Grace, yes. Um, and 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 you know, you know, and and that line hit me because as thinking about like, again, I my parents, my wife's parents are in relatively good health, but there is this sense of like, um, you know, these things are imminent, right? Like 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 my, all these folks in that generation for me are in their mid seventies, and you start to do the math and think, well. There's there are going to be moments when decisions have to be made, and how do we how do we think about those things? Yeah, and and, and you and you get that again later on. It's interesting. The film kind of redoubles that message later on with Marion, right? Marion Marion talks about 
you know, there's there's two different ways you can respond to, to life. And she also kind of talks about the idea that, you know, life, life is hard. Life is going to, you can, she says, you can't beat life. There things aren't ever what you hope they'd be, but you just have to decide how you're going to respond to them. So it's interesting that Grant is kind of getting, you know, two different women, two different important women in his life, giving him the same piece of advice. Uh, and so part of what has to happen for him is he has to, he has to let go of, of a certain kind of control. And the reason why the control is hard to let go of is because it's part of love. And, he, and he's afraid if he lets go of control, he's going to let go of love for her. And at the same time, he's trying to fight against the fact that she appears to be letting go of love for him. So, so to me, it's interesting that that message kind of gets redoubled for him as, as he goes along in that journey. Well, it's interesting thinking about that, even that, 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 that wording let go. Um, one, uh, another really painful line in the movie from Fiona is um, when he's after Aubrey has left the left meadow Lake um, and, and Grant is sort of saying like, don't, don't you think you can just let this go really in terms of like, you're losing your memory. Anyhow, can't you lose this memory? And she says, if I let this go, it'll only hit me mm-hmm. harder if I bump into it again. So there is this sense of like, um, I need to hold, I kind of need to hold on to whatever I have, you know, and, 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 and this, this is the frame of reference that I have for a relationship and for love right now. And, um, and if I just try to let go of this experience, this pain that this thing you know, could come back and, and, and um, again, would, would hit harder in that way. Well, I think another key element of that too, uh, Sam, as Grant wrestles with, with her is the degree to which she does or doesn't have control. Mm-hmm. And, and one, you know, one, one of the things I have found has been difficult to struggle with when someone has dementia is, is remembering that they are not deliberately doing what is kind of driving you crazy. Um, you know, so when he asks Christy, you know, that key thing about, is it, is it an act? Is it some kind of punishment? Um, you know, the idea that somehow she, that somehow she has more agency than she actually has. I think that's something he really, he really has to kind of come to, to turn to terms with. Yeah. And I, I love the role that Christy played. I mean, she's such an important character to this movie because she's not only teaching Grant, the rules of things to the degree that there are rules. And part of the thing is that there aren't really rules and things happen and you don't really understand it, but she's also teaching us the viewer about it. Like, like she, she's laying and, you know, importantly, she lays out this really important idea that sometimes even those people on the second floor, sometimes you walk in and they're completely themselves again. And that's early in the film that gets laid out as this, this thing, but she's also, but then it'll be, it'll be gone as fast as it, uh, as it comes. Um, but, but she sort of plants that seed. And I, I love that she serves as kind of a guide. She serves as a therapist. I mean, she serves as like the person you would most hope to encounter as you were bringing a loved one to a place like Meadow. Like, like you hope to have somebody um, who has that kind of accessibility. Um, but she's also a, a straight shooter. Like, like, uh, you know, there is that great scene where I think it's it's one of the it's not the last scene with her, but it's one of the last scenes with her where um, 
Grant has already sort of hinted. I mean, this is after the scene about like, is she punishing me for, you know, for these things? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, you know, she says like, yeah, when you brought that up before, it sure seemed like you had something really specific in mind. Uh And then she Mm -hmm. says, in my experience at the end of things, uh, it's the men who think not much went wrong. Yes. And then she says, I wonder if your wife feels the same way. Yeah. 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 Now, what's what's interesting about that though, Sam, is that I think, so so yeah i mean christy that's an arrow straight to the heart but what's interesting to me is that we also know that christy has bitterness against her husband that fiona has let go of Mm -hmm. because because fiona one of the last things that she says is you could have driven away and forsaken me Mm -hmm. so yes you know so i i think that's where the little bit of grace has all already come into the relationship you know, there were wives that wouldn't put up with it. There were wives that split from the husband. There were husbands that left the wives. And Grant didn't do that. And that is a long-term memory that she hangs on to, mm-hmm. which I think that's the great gift she gives him at the end, you know, when she, when she says that. And, of course, one of the great things about that scene is even as she's saying that, she can't get her grammar right. Right? Mm-hmm. She says, forsook, forsooken. So, so you see the Alzheimer's at work, but then you still see the essence of Fiona saying, you know, I'm a lucky woman that you didn't abandon me. Yeah. And then, and then the last, uh, the last character that I think is really, we, we've talked a little bit about is Marion in this movie. And, and, you know, and she sort of stands for stay or she sort of represents uh, the promise of the continuation of, of life in another kind of way. Um, you know, she, as you talked about, she, realizes well you 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 can't control what's going to happen you can and you can think you know what's going to happen but you won't and then there's a great line in the car where she's just like you just have to decide to be happy uh things are uh, not what you'd hope they would be but it would be easier for me if you could pretend a little yes. it's like it's like like for us for for us to continue in this relationship but also for us to continue as human beings living life we have to make some decisions um, and, and, and so there, I think there is something powerful in that line, decide to be happy. It's like, mm-hmm. like, like we're, you're at a moment of choice right now and you can, you know, you can choose, like you said, kind of how you respond to things, you know? And I think, you know, there's a line earlier when she's talking about smoking and she says, I quit quitting. It's like, it's like and, and, and part of that is like, I took some agency back into my life and it was like, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. And even if this thing, you know, in that case, she's talking about smoking, but it, but, um, but I think she represents somebody who's at a different point on that arc than Grant and, and has a lot to teach him about like, you know, Grant could live another 20 years. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. Gordon Pinsett is still alive. He's 91. So if, you know, if you think about that, like, like we're getting close to 20 years after this movie and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of life that's at the other end of this too. I I really like the way that, um, that Marion is used uh, so strategically in the film you know, you have a couple of extended scenes with her, like when they first meet, and then that scene in the car, and then the scene at the dance. Uh, but then, the, but then you have other ways in which she's kind of dealt with elliptically, and you kind of fill in the blank. So, for example, I love the fact that after that first conversation, she shuts the door and says, "What a jerk!" Mm-hmm. And, and and you know, you just think, "Well, this you know, this is over. It's not going to work." But then, obviously, so then the next interaction you get with her is the telephone call, right? The telephone message. Um, and then again, they have their interactions. And then the next thing you get towards the end is packing up the house. 
Mm-hmm. You never see an explicit conversation about I'm willing to lose the house so Aubrey can go back to Meadow Lake, but but it happens. And I just I admire. We've talked about this a lot, Sam. I admire any director that that gives the audience credit for intelligence and the ability and and, and actually encourages and even forces the audience to to work to put a little bit not that it takes a lot of work to figure out what's going on but it's a little bit of work and that's and that's good whereas i don't think we needed to have a conversation about oh guess what grant i've decided to give up the house uh it's much better filling it in yeah and and a lot of that um relies on really good performances too you know um one of the uh and maybe we can talk a little bit about performances here um the uh, one of the executive producers on this film, somebody you had talked about, uh, you'd mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Adam Egoian. How do you say that? Egoian. Um, he he. His directing advice to to Polly was. Um, uh, the actor is the only person who's doing something genuinely magical on set, <laughs> and it has to be protected at all costs. And I think you could read that and say, well, that's just, that shows how the director is not that important. And it's really about the actors, but it really at the celebration of what Polly does here is mm. he gets great performances out of people and, and, and performances that are really quiet and really hard. I mean, especially, I think you think about, um, and Ebert wrote about this. You think about Julie Christie, you think about Michael Murphy, the people who are suffering from this condition, you need to make sure that in those performances, there's never moments when you get the feeling that this is Julie Christie acting. You have mm. to believe Fiona. You have to believe um, Aubrey. And Aubrey doesn't say anything, but every time you see him, you have to believe all of his nonverbals. You have to believe his face and his eyes. Um, and and like so so, you know, in in lots of ways, this is a uh, Grant uh, Gordon Pinsett is at the center of this movie in terms of performances. Um, and he's an actor I'm not familiar with at all, but he is phenomenal in this movie. Um, I loved the scene when the, the first time he visits Meadow Lake and um, uh, the one woman, uh, the one patient there asks him if he's a charmer and he sort of you know talks with her. Like, it's like, like that moment is everything about grant because you could all you can see like oh he is mm-hmm. this very charming person very good with words but you could also imagine how that gets him into trouble too you know and yeah, yeah, yeah. um and even when i saw that i thought because i think that that comes way before you learn anything else about him and, and i saw that 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 moment it was like i i wonder <laughs> i wonder what this guy's backstory is a little bit and then as you learn a little bit more you're like yep i i can imagine that um but 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 he that he is a a really really great performance um julie christie's obviously nominated for uh for an oscar for this and i think she plays she plays this so convincingly where i like i and so much of it i think is the eyes of both both her and and michael murphy where when i look at them i'm i'm not like like i feel like there's so much going on in their heads trying to make sense out of what's around them um, but you also get enough of Grant's parent early on you, of Grant's sort of paranoia about that. Well, I have to say that the film makes me think about that, that great line for Sunset, from Sunset Boulevard, right? We didn't need words. We had faces. Um, there's so much nonverbal acting going, going on. And, and as you indicated, so much of it is, is brilliant. Um, it, you get it from, uh, from Gordon Pinsent, you get it from Michael Murphy. And the way that Julie Christie can look vacant um and lost uh 
it, it's 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 amazing. And 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 Polly holds the camera on her kind of just just long enough to give the sense that she was there for a minute and now she's she's kind of gone again. And she conveys that she conveys that sense of confusion. There's that one shot when she's cross country skiing. Um, and I, and the camera zeroes in on her and she just kind of looks around and it's like the landscape becomes this metaphor for the blankness in her, in her mind at that point. And of course we should mention that. I love, I love the cross country skiing as a kind of metaphor because you get them skiing side by side. And I went, I, I meant to go back and watch this again, Sam, because every time I watch this film, this, this confuses me because they're, 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 they're skiing side by side but polly does something with the camera to make it look as though gordon as though grant is skiing away from her it's it's hmm. at least that, that's what it looks like to me and then of course you get a scene late in the film when he's skiing by himself and so i just love you know you have these parallel tracks you have these solid these solitary tracks so there's so much that she's doing uh in the film that that doesn't require words that again it, to me it's it's such complete filmmaking as a result. You've got well, a really uh, great script, but then you've got great visuals. Another effective thing about cross-country skiing is that it is an activity that literally leaves memories. It leaves a track behind right. you of where you have been. But as we know about snow or in the middle of June, those memories are fading. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, so, so it both leaves a record, but that record is not a permanent record. Um, I, 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 I really, I really, really... Uh, like that um uh i also love and i don't know how much of this is the screenplay how much of this is the performance um but we don't get a we don't really get a glimpse of um of fiona pre-alzheimer's mm. but at the same time i know everything about her like like i have met people mm. like her i could i could describe her life pre-alzheimer's like the type of person she is and i'm not sure what is conveying that to me? Like, but, but I, like, I know I have met people and adore people who are, who are like her. Like she is uh, like, I know how brilliant she is. I know like how, what she reads. I know that she has a, you know, all, she has all kinds of opinions. About, I mean, I think part of this is even like the, she would never wear that sweater. It's like, yeah. Oh yeah. Cause she's a very, she's a very opinionated person about lots of these things. Like, like I, She's somehow fully rounded just by dropping in enough details about her. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a really good, yeah. I, I think the other way, to me, the scene that really conveys the Fiona before Alzheimer's is when uh, Grant confronts her, if that's the right word, uh, about putting the labels on the drawers. And, you know, wouldn't it mm. just be easier to open the drawer and see what's there? And she says she's going to tell him a story. And he looks alarmed. And she says, don't worry, it's a good story. <laughs> and she tells the story about the Germans labeling the dog's hund, you know, because it's a hund. But I, I love that moment because to me that, that kind of captures, you know, she lives up to his description of her as, um, what does he say? She's direct and vague, sweet and ironic. Um, and I think that, I mean, those, those, uh, those four adjectives kind of do it for her characterization. It's brilliant. Uh, one other thing uh, about this this movie that jumped out at me uh, this is a visual thing that I really loved, and I can't remember seeing it in other places, is the use of white, the use of white light, um, but particularly white. So like the closing credits are in mm. white with black text. The opening 
is white with black tab. I mean, you're so used to, to that being inverted, or I guess this is the inversion. Right? You're used to black text or black screen with white. That's what credits look like. That's right, what right. opening titles look like. But this is is the opposite. And even there's moments where she'll do dissolves, and instead of dissolving into black, she'll dissolve into white. Yes, yes. Um, and that that hit. There's something visually that hits really hard about that. And and um. I don't know if that speaks. I mean, this, this is about a person or people who are fading. So maybe there is something about when we fade, right. That, 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 that fading to white might, I mean, I guess, how do you read that? Well, I mean, certainly, and most obviously it's, it echoes the landscape. The landscape is most frequently snow. And yeah. And I think, I think, I think it's, it's, an alternative view of oblivion, right? Mm-hmm. Oblivion can either be like an, in Tolstoy's story, the death of Ivana Leach, it's an image of being stuffed into a black sack. Uh, that's one image of death and oblivion. But the other image of death and oblivion is the image of, of, of whiteness. And I think, uh, I think it was Ebert who was right on by saying that it reminded him of Bergman's Winter Light. Um, the idea that um, this is a literally cold reality that you're facing. And so the whiteness of the snow reminds you of that as well. Mm-hmm. You have other things you want to talk about with this film. Yeah, I, I want to talk about a couple of other things. One is just a couple of um, just a couple of scenes that I found particularly affecting, um, and one of them we've kind of talked about. The other we haven't. It's the one when Grant takes her back to the house, mm-hmm. and I love the ambiguity when she says everything reminds me of him, and it's like, well, it's probably Grant. But is it Aubrey? We we don't know. Mm-hmm. And then she has one of her kind of great vacant expressions, if I can put it that way. The other the other scene I love, and this is, as I recall, is Polly's creation, not in the Monroe short story. Um, the announcer for the former hockey announcer, uh, and he narrates right, and he says, "As we go down the hall, there is a man with a broken heart, broken <laughs> in a thousand pieces." I mean, I find that scene both humorous and heartbreaking at the exact same time. Um, yes. So, so the, the other thing I just want to point out is that this is a very, this is a very deliberately Canadian film. Um, be, you know, both because, you know, Polly is from Canada. Uh, her mentor is a Goyan who's, who's Canadian. Um, she's chosen all Canadian locations. Um, she has, uh, the cast is uh, a lot of Canadians in, in, in the cast and then you have, um, oh, by the way, Julie Christie and um, Michael Murphy were together in Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller hmm. in 1971. So she remembers that. So it's like there's this little echo in the film of did, did Fiona and, uh, and, and Michael Murphy's character did, and Aubrey, did they know each other before? And yeah, Julie Christie and Michael Murphy uh, were together in 1971. <laughs> Um, but the other thing, too, is we haven't said anything about the music in the film and the use of two Neil Young songs. Neil Young, of course, a great Canadian artist. So they dance together to Harvest Moon, which is a very lovely song about um, just, you know, about love. Uh, but then the closing credits is Katie Lang uh, singing Helpless, uh, which is one of Neil Young's great anthems. So I just love I just love the fact that the I love the fact that that closing song comments on the situation that she and grant are in in the in the the face of alzheimer's helpless 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 yeah i i I, i'm glad you brought up frank uh the the announcer 
um because he's he's one of my he's one of my favorite characters and um i love the scene where where they're watching the hockey game and grant yes. um walks up and turns down the volume because frank's <laughs> already kind of calling and then he just sort of snaps into announcer mode and in the scene you mentioned when he walks by the elevator he he is is announcing his life right um he also shows that he's perceptive to read grant's situation but then he goes right from there to talking about uh what's going to be in the cafeteria and if the if the pasta is going to be cold or whatever like it's 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 a very funny moment in a movie that doesn't necessarily have a lot of sort of moments of levity, it's a, that's like it's an unnecessary thing, but it's it's mm. it's really wonderful. And it also, um, the the scene where Grant turns the volume down also points to. And there's a couple other moments in the movie of this too that while Grant is there and he's watching Fiona, he's also he's not necessarily talking to these other people, but he's building out this world that Fiona's living in. She knows who he knows who Frank is. And he knows that this would be meaningful to that. He, the, the woman who's the, um, um, I think it's the woman who calls him a charmer. She's also the wom- woman who knows sign, lang- sign yes, language, right? right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. like there's these other drama. It, it points to these other dramas that are also playing out. We have Grant and Fiona and Miriam and Aubrey, but every one of these people also has these has has have their versions of these stories. Uh, and I like at least the uh, the hinting or indications of those things. So I'm sorry, one, one more thing about Helpless I wanted to add. The second line of the, of the song is dream, comfort, memory, despair. Hmm. And the album that it comes off of is called is entitled Deja Vu. Interesting. Huh. <laughs> oh, all right. So what do you have for us next week? Okay, so um, I, we're going to do a different kind of approach to memory um, and watch a film that came out the same year, 2006, uh, in France called La Moustache. All right. I have no idea what that is. I'm so no, excited. You have no idea, Sam. And uh, I think it'll be an interesting conversation. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, Barrett, um, thank you for, uh, for, for coming back. Um, you know, whenever we take a break from things like, and I was writing up notes this morning, I thought, do I still remember how to do this? Are we going to be able to have a good conversation? And this was great. Thank you for recommending this movie. I really, really like this movie. This is one that is going to stick with me for a long time. I think I'll keep kind of coming back to themes and ideas from uh from this movie so thank you for recommending this um that is all the time that we have but we will be back next week to talk about la moustache in the video store